We started a series last week called Live Love, and we've been looking at this uh, love letter written by, by John and how uh, we are a people of love created by a God who is love. And in 1 John chapter 4, uh, verses 16 through 19, it says, God is love, and whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And we love because he first loved us. It's an old song that was made popular by Kenny Rogers and Waylon Jennings. They didn't write this song, but they made it popular. And the words went like this. Cowboys ain't easy to love, and they're harder to hold. They'd rather give you a song than diamonds or gold. Lone Star belt buckles and old faded Levi's, and each night begins a new day. If you don't understand him, and he don't die young, he'll probably just ride away. <laughs> Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. Don't let them pick guitars or drive them old trucks. Let them be doctors and lawyers and such. Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys, because they'll never stay home, and they're, never, and they're always alone even with someone they love. An old song that they made popular, Mamas, Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be Cowboys. I'm not a huge country fan. I like the older country, and uh, this song was always interesting to me. It, like, what is it that, that moms want for their children, for their babies? What is it that they desire? Does this song communicate that? Anxiety, does it communicate that fear that they might grow up to be something that they don't want them to be? There's also an irony to this song where there are these two old cowboys singing about hoping that mamas won't let children to grow up to become like them, really. Here they are giving advice to moms. On a, a day like today, on Mother's Day, I'm preaching through 1 John chapter 4 in this series. And part of me feels like a little bit like an old cowboy. Like, how would I, what kind of word would I give to moms that would actually like not be an eye roller? And as I was kind of working through it with Marcy last night, she rolled her eyes a lot. <laughs> I was like, oh boy, here we go. Uh, but as, we, as we've been kind of going through this series, I feel like what, what an amazing verse for Mother's Day, talking about this idea of how God is love and whoever lives in love lives in God. And then this idea about fear. And how there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. And so as we walk through kind of this, this passage today, a couple things is, uh, John's not writing to mothers, he's writing to the church. Um, and so I, there's something here for all of us. And as I speak, uh, I, I'm not a mom, and, uh, but I'm married to one, and, and we have four kids. And, and my hope today is not to just... To, to give you advice, but to, to walk through this, this passage and, and hopefully to be an encouragement, hopefully it's an encouragement as we, we consider what John has to say to the church, but also on, on such a unique day. If we were to look at moms throughout scripture and find out what does the Bible have to say about motherhood, uh, we might start in the beginning. The first mom, Eve, the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 uh, through 3, uh, we have the first story of a mom. 
And you want to know how that turns out? Well, Eve's children, one of them kills the other one. It's brutal. Uh, Our daughter Sophia decided that she wanted to start reading the adult Bible, is what we called it. We had a children's Bible that she was reading through, and she was, I'm going to start reading the adult Bible. So Marcy and we were like, oh, that's really encouraging. Like, our daughter's going to start reading it. 20 minutes later, she comes into our room, and she says, I started in Genesis, and you know the story of Adam and Eve? And did you, did you know that Eve's sons, one of them killed the other one? And we were like, oh, yes, we did. And Sophia goes, they don't, they don't have that in the children's Bible. <laughs> we're like, no, they don't. They don't. And you, you hear this story, and you're like, oh, the first mother, like, how does this turn out? And, and part of me is like, when we, we think of the story that long, long time ago that this happened, and, you know, there, there's something about, like, I, why does, like, does God put this in here? To, it's hard to be a mom. And he's like, well, look at the first mother, like, it, how that turned out. It can only go up from there, right? Like, you know, like, or, but, but then you also think about, like, what, what Eve experiences in this story. I mean, to have one child murder another child. Like, we always talk about, like, the fall of humanity, but we very much forget that there's a mother involved in this and the grief that she feels from something like this that happens. And it's, it, the, the Bible doesn't hide this. They don't leave it out. This, this first story of a mother and her kids are going at it, and one of them murders the other one. Or maybe you keep going and you find Rebecca in, in Genesis chapter 24. You have Rebecca, who's married to Isaac and, and has two children, uh, Jacob and Esau, and it talks about how with these two sons, she struggles with showing favoritism to one of them. Like this is thousands of years ago, and people are people, and, and the way that she treats one of them, it creates this, this tension within the family, and, and they become these kind of like rivals and sibling rivalry, and, and you're like, well, this can't be, be good or healthy, or like, what's going on here? They, then you keep going, and, and, and in Exodus, you've got Moses' mom, the story of Moses, and, and his mom, who uh, gives birth to Moses, and then because of uh, the, the oppressive Pharaoh, there's something that's happening. She ends up having to give up her child, and she, gives, uh, she, she nurses the child, but eventually gives it up, and Moses grows up in, in Pharaoh's household. And you can't imagine what it was like for that mom to, to, to know that she's, as a slave, is giving her child to have a better life, but goes through the loss and the longing of allowing that child to go. Or then you go over to the New Testament, and you see stories of moms. There's Salome. Uh, that we find in, in the Gospels. And she's the mother of the sons of Zebedee, James and John. And she comes to Jesus with this request to Jesus, will you allow my sons to stand at your right hand, to be kind of like number two when you come into power? And so we have Salome having these high hopes for her children, but also trying to kind of like manipulate this situation. And we talked about this uh, earlier uh, this spring, about what her motives really are and how that creates all sorts of uh, tension within the disciples of like, what, who does your mom think she is trying to get you guys up ahead of us? And, and then you have the story of, of Mary, Jesus' mother. And, and what, a wild, what a wild story for her to be told as, as probably a young teenager that she's going to have this child as a virgin, dealing with just some of the ramifications of what that would look like to have a child out of, of wedlock and having no one really understand her story and then the way that she interacts with Joseph and they get married. And then for Mary to raise Jesus and to raise a son who is misunderstood and persecuted and tortured and, and eventually led to the cross. And you see that as a mom. You experience what, what the, the pain of seeing your child go through that. If we were to look at scripture at 
motherhood, what we'd find is that mothering is really hard. Extremely hard. It's difficult. It's not easy. Mothering is, is something that's challenging. From the very beginning, it's been full of grief and pain. It's been complex and confusing. There's frustration and fear and loss and longing, struggle and suffering. They're busy. They're exhausted. And we come to this passage today about love. And when we think about kind of the role of the mother in a family, and this passage talks about a type of love that drives out fear. And you read these stories of these moms throughout Scripture, and every single one of them, it seems like it's just terrifying. The things that they experience with their children, just terrifying. And, and the truth is that the world that we live in is just relentless. It's challenging. It's hard. Being in relationships is hard. Being a mother is hard. I had a friend over uh, who's single a couple weeks ago. He's going to come over. We're going to hang out. And I was like, why don't you come over around 730? We put our kids down, and then we can hang out on our back patio and visit. Got here around 730, and we've got four kids in our house, so like we're running behind on schedule. You might know what that's like. And uh, my friend was just watching the bedtime process. <laughs> it just kind of like sitting there got real quiet and uh, was looking around, watching everything happen. And then we finally get the kids down, and we come out, and he goes, you know, sometimes I really want to have a family and, 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 and all of this. And he's like, this is a moment where I'm like, I really like my own life right now. <laughs> I'm like, yes. My thought was, welcome to the jungle. Yeah, this is every night. Being a mother is extremely difficult. And this verse, I believe, is so important, this verse of encouragement, that there is no fear in love. That perfect love drives out fear. Perfect love drives out fear. This world is relentless. This world is challenging. But the type of love that we are called to is this divine love that God gives us. This love that has been perfected, that is a perfect love. And we are called to be a people of perfect love. Love drives out fear. So how then, how then do we do that? If this is the kind of love that we're to have, whether you're a mother or whether you're just in relationship with other people, the kind of love that drives out fear, I would say it's almost like, it's almost like a muscle. that you, Everyone has it. Everyone has it. But how do, we, how do we strengthen that muscle? How do we flex that muscle so that we are a people who love and drive out fear? A couple things that I, I think are important. How does perfect love drive out fear? Uh, the first thing is that I think this, is, this has been something that I've, I've kind of learned in pastoral counseling. One of the things that they keep saying to me uh, as I, I'm trying to become a better pastor is to be the least worried presence in a room. To be the least worried presence in a room. I thought, how, how great would that be, even whether you're a mother, to be the least worried presence in a household? Or of all of us as, as church members in a family, to be the least worried. If you're anything like me, I worry about everything. And, and I, as part of a, like, maybe like a self-preservation defense mode, but I, I just worry a lot. And I, I'm an external processor, so I worry out loud. Marcy loves it. Uh, in our household, it's amazing. Marcy, Marcy has just the steadfast spirit that is able to absorb the shock of my worry. But we worry because the world is relentless. Just reading through these stories of these moms in the, throughout Scripture, the world is, there are a lot of things to worry about. And worry isn't necessarily uh, a bad thing. And really, the, the good thing is concern. There's a difference between worry 
and concern. Concern is something that is healthy. Worry is something that is unrealistic. We want to be a people who, who don't worry, but who are grounded with healthy concern. Here's some of the differences between concern and worry. Concern is focused on others. Worry is self-centered. Concern motivates us to serve and make things better. Worry puts up barriers that keeps us from engaging. Concern promotes constructive action. Worry often paralyzes us. Concern welcomes, is welcomed by others most of the time. Worry does not welcome by others. Concern, a healthy concern, is driven by love. And worry is, con- is driven by fear. We've talked about fear's great acronym, false evidence appearing real. Worry is caught up with fear. Perfect love drives out fear. For concern, the goal is to help. For worry, it doesn't really have a goal. Concern can strengthen relationships. Worry tends to weaken relationships. Concern can be something that is tempered with faith. And worry is something that overwhelms faith with doubt. So there's this understanding of, yes, there are a lot of things in this world to be concerned about. And there are a lot of things that that move our hearts uh, to action. Worry is something that could be, uh, instead of, uh, of, as we we love others, we become shock absorbers in their life. Worry almost like creates the shock. One of the things that I've been told as a pastor, and hopefully, and those of you that know me, and it's something I'm working on, is I want to be the least worried person in the room. That doesn't mean I'm out of touch with reality, but there's something inside me that is steadfast because of the love of God in my life. Be the least worried. And the second thing is to be uh, the most prayerful. So if we're the least worried, uh, the second thing is the opposite is to be the most prayerful. Came across this uh, paraphrase by Eugene Peterson on Philippians chapter 4, and I thought it was great. It says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for the good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. To be the least worried and the most prayerful. Prayerful. I don't know what it necessarily means to be a great mother, but my guess is that it probably starts with prayer. It probably starts with a prayer life where all of your concerns are rooted in prayer. And all the things that you're fearful of are taken to God and laid at his feet. It's not something that is easy because we live in a world that is just relentless. But to be the least worried and the most prayerful. There's an old story of St. Monica, whose son, St. Augustine, was in the 4th century, um, prayed a lot for 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 her for her son Augustine, and if you know kind of the church history, uh, this is one of the most influential theologians, uh, maybe outside of Scripture even. Um, one of the loudest voices did so much to to influence uh, Christianity as we know it today, philosophically, theologically. And uh, if you know his story, uh, this great this great voice, the Church Fathers, uh, he was born. Monica was a Christian. Her husband was total pagan, and uh, they're in North Africa. And she had this great concern for her child, wanted him to grow up 
to know Jesus and uh, would pray for him all the time. And Augustine, in kind of his brilliance, uh, he, he kind of had a lot of questions for Christianity. And so he went and explored all sorts of other things. Um, was very much uh, into pleasure. In fact, he moved from North Africa to Spain because he said Carthage couldn't fulfill his appetite and wanted to go into Rome to seek out what could fulfill his appetite. And yet Monica is praying for him, concerned for him, and just prays and prays and prays for her child. Uh, at some point, Augustine converts to Christianity. Uh, this amazing story, he's in Milan. God gets a hold of his heart, becomes this unbelievable, influential voice in society and culture, uh, and has shaped the church uh, we, we, in many ways that we're not even, we don't even realize today, um, just a very important voice. And he talks about how key it was for his mother to pray for him early on in his life. Like those prayers for her that were full of frustration, full of just, it seemed like, empty answers from God. And then finally someday, something clicks with him and he becomes one of the most influential voices of his day. He talks about this idea of, of his mom praying for him, and I was, came across this in Confessions that says, Now gone from my sight, who for years had wept over me, that I might live in your sight, God. But your counsels are deep. You granted her the key point to her prayers, not what she was asking for at the moment, so that you might make me into what you truly desired me to be. It's kind of like a mouthful. Uh, to understand that, but he's saying that these things that his mom had prayed for, prayed and prayed and prayed for his life, she didn't necessarily see the fruit of it, and it seemed like it was unanswered prayers. But the whole time God was listening to those prayers and taking Augustine through this process of of, uh, developing him to be the person that his mom had desired this whole time. And in those moments where it felt like those prayers were unanswered, really God was answering them, and she didn't see the fruit of that until years and years later, in his life. But this prayer life that Monica had for her son, this investment of prayer for him, to be the person that prays the most in your family, to displace this worry that we all feel with prayer. Pray the most. The third thing, uh, spend grace lavishly. So least, most, and now this word spend. Spend grace lavishly. Uh, it's Mother's Day, so I'm saying you're allowed to be a big spender. I was trying to think of a clever joke there. But. <laughs> to spend grace lavishly. Grace is something that is absolutely foundational to Christianity. In fact, someone like C.S. Lewis would say that it's what makes Christianity distinct even from, from all the religions because grace doesn't have anything to do with what we do. It's not based on our actions. It's not based on merit. Webster defines it as unmerited divine assistance given to humans for sanctification, a virtue coming from God, a state enjoyed by divine assistance. Grace is a gift. It's not something that we earn, and yet God gives us grace. Gives us grace. Grace is something that should just flow out of us as people. In the New Testament, this idea of grace was, was charis, was the word, and it was this idea of a good gift. It was something that to be thankful for. It was merciful kindness, or it was undeserved favor. Spending grace lavishly on our loved ones. Because God has given us so much that we didn't deserve. 
This is the story of the gospel. We talked about this idea of living love. Last week, Tyler said, really, really what this series should be called is to live loved. Because loved people love people. When you experience the grace of God, this gift that we don't deserve, it should be something that flows out of us, especially to our most loved ones. Our children are uh, moving from this stage where they're, they're little kids into to teenage years, and our daughter Sophia is now 11. And what Marcy and I are realizing is this is a completely different set of parenting skills. And we didn't really have the parenting skills for the first phase, so <laughs> now we're like, oh my goodness, what are we doing? And uh, Marcy's been reading through this book on uh, you know, raising this teenage daughter and, and, and brought this up to me, and uh, this idea of, of, of grace, and, and said, uh, she, she brought this quote up to me that said, I just thought it was great, it said, Iron fists chisel stony hearts, but graceful hands shape responsive hearts. Let me read that again. Iron fists chisel stony hearts, but graceful hands shape responsive hearts. Now, what this isn't saying is that we don't need to be people of discipline and structure, but this idea of grace to lavishly spend it on our children so that they know what God's grace is like. And it's something that, it, that engages their hearts when we spend grace lavishly on them. If you do anything with our family, we spend lavishly with this idea of grace. This divine favor that comes from God into our life, we are the people of grace. We pour it out to others. And then... So we spend grace lavishly. The fourth thing is that we save memories diligently. Perfect love drives out fear when we create moments that are memorable and we cherish them. Mary, Jesus' mother, right after the Christmas story, Jesus is born and the shepherds show up and they tell about what they've seen with the angels in the sky and the wise men come. Everyone's saying all these great things and it, there's this amazing verse for Mary where I think it's just the heart of a mother. It says, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. In Luke chapter 2, she treasured up these memories and she pondered them in her heart. She internalized them. We live in this fast-paced culture, this digital revolution where we're moving so quickly. The idea of creating moments that are memorable and saving those moments for our family. There are these things that remind us that we are human that we aren't based on, our worth isn't based on what we do. We're, we're in relationship with each other and saving up these memories. We stop to smell the roses. We enjoy life. Getting ready to go on vacation in July, heading out to Michigan, and was talking with our staff, trying to get our vacation time scheduled right. And Tim and I were both talking about, these were the moments as children when we would, we would go on these trips with our parents, like to different places. Those, whatever that week was would just stick out more than any other week in the year. The rest of the year would be this blur, and then we would get to the vacation week, and everything with clarity, we would remember what happened. We need to create more moments like that as families and save those moments. We spend graciously, and we save our memories diligently. Fifth thing is to be present in the short term, and then the sixth thing is like it but to invest in the long term. So these all, so we look at kind of some of these big words. We have uh, least, most, spend, save, short term, long term. And we'll end with this. But uh, we, we, uh, we are present in the short term. We are a distracted society, a distracted culture. 
and it is hard to be present. But one of the things that I think I, I'm learning, especially with my children and, and some relationships, is I could go through short stretches where I'm just not distracted and present for my children or present for people. And I just put away the distractions and know for the next 60 minutes, I'm going to be fully engaged and present. And this is hard, and especially for, for the, some of the, the young moms here, where you're just completely overwhelmed, not sleeping well, you just want to veg out, you want to have adult conversations. These moments go by so quickly, though. The, the, the moments of our children growing, we want to be present in the short term. I once heard this, this phrase, and it's kind of always stuck with me, that uh, the, the days are really long, and the years are really short. And in the midst of these long days, we need to slow down and to be present in the short term, because it goes by so fast, to be present in the short term. And then to invest in the long term, to invest in things much like Monica's prayers for Augustine, that may not come to fruition for a long, long time. I know that uh, mothering is probably a thankless job. It's probably something that you're not going to see the fruit of for, for years. There's a lot of sacrifice. Um, what we're experiencing in our own household is a lot of sacrifice early on, and then they turn into teenagers, and like at least they were nice to us when they were younger, right? <laughs> now it's like we're sacrificing, and they're not even nice to us. Uh, but investing in the long term, having this longer view on life. And I think this is important in our, all of our relationships as well. Sometimes we're, we're this instant gratification society. We, 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 get, we, we pour into things when we, we see responses right away. But what if we had this long-term investment view of our relationships with each other? No, we may not be thanked right away. We may not get anything back right away but we're developing something in people, whether it's our children, whether it's in each other. I think this is the process of discipleship, to pour into things long-term with a view of the long-term with it. A church has to do that in a culture. A church has to do that in a community, think long-term. But our families, we have to think of long-term as well. Marriages, we have to think long-term. I'm present in the short-term, but I know that the things that I'm investing in may not show fruit for a long ways out. We pour into each other with the long term. So how does perfect love drive out fear? I think one of the things is that there's longevity in it. We know that we're going to hang with people relationally through the midst of ups and downs. That we're committed to people. Whether it's spouses, whether it's children, relationships. We're going to hang with them because this is an investment in something long term. The final thing, so kind of how does... Perfect love drive out fear. The least, least worried, most prayerful, prayerful uh, spend the most on grace, save the most on memories, be present in the short term, invest in the long term. And the final thing, we come to this verse, that in verse 19 it says, we love because God first loved us. To communicate this message, that the love that is inside of us, this divine love that has been given us, this gospel love, is self-sacrificing. Jesus came and he puts himself to death on the cross so that he could conquer death, conquer sin, conquer all of these things that this relentless life rips us away from each other and from God. And Jesus puts to death, death. And then he offers us this life and says, this is the love 
that I give you. Love each other in this way. And we love because he first loved us. This perfect love that drives out fear is the source is our God. But our identity as people is that we are gospel people. We are resurrection people. This is something that is sacred. This is a covenant-type love that God offers to us. So on this Mother's Day, whether you're a mom, uh, whether you have a mom, which is all of us, whether you're in relationship with moms, a perfect love that drives out fear is essential. And in our relationships, this perfect love that drives out fear is what we're invited to. We're going to close today with communion. Communion represents grace. We give thanks for this good gift of God's love. We take a piece of bread that represents the body of Christ that was broken open on the cross. We take a cup of juice that represents the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross. Through the breaking open of the body of Christ, through through his sacrifice on the cross, his shedding of his blood, we experience life that is eternal. We're reconciled to God. We come today reminded of this perfect love that drives out fear. And maybe today we just are living life with a lot of fear and we need to just rest in this eternal love from God. But we also proclaim this message. We don't just remember and give thanks. We proclaim it, that we are the people of the gospel and people of the resurrection. We want to proclaim it and live it in our relationships, with our children, with our neighbors, with our coworkers, this type of love. So as Tim comes back up, I want to invite you to the table. Uh, We'll take communion Take some time to reflect and take some time to just say, Lord, what are the things in my heart that you need to reveal? How can I be the type of person that loves in a way that drives out fear? Maybe, Lord, you just need to drive out the fear of my, in my own life. Make me a courageous person. But let me love in this way. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this passage, this word that was spoken almost 2,000 years ago, Lord, but a word that you spoke a divine word about love. We see that your character is to love. Lord, we live in a world that needs it. A world that is broken, a world that is relentless. Lord, there's a lot to be fearful of. There's a lot to be, uh, a lot that causes us pain. And yet you're putting all of these broken things back together. We want to replace the brokenness, Lord, with your love, with you. That you would be the center of our hearts. Lord, we're grateful for your love. We ask that we would be able to show it to others. We ask your blessing on us today, Lord. In your sons and we pray. Amen.